We have been in a series called Venturing into the Unknown, uh, taking a look back about 4,000 or so more years ago, 4,000 or more years ago at the life of Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham, or Abram as he's known at, at this point in time in the book of Genesis, uh, is considered to be a giant of our faith. But last week we saw that Abraham had a faith failure. And he's learning a valuable lesson, one that we all need to learn. And that's this, that we need to hold on less tightly to what we see and more tightly to what we don't see. Because there is more in the unseen world of God than there is in the seen world before our eyes. Abraham is learning something that would be written about 2,000 years later, excuse me, in the New Testament by first Pete, in First Peter that we saw when we studied it that, that followers of Jesus, in his case a follower of Yahweh, Jesus hadn't been born yet, are pilgrims. If you're a follower of Jesus, first off, if you're not, we're glad that you're here today, but if you are a follower of Jesus, we are pilgrims. We are not settlers. What's, what's the difference? Pilgrims are people who are on their way home. Settlers are people who are home. And we are, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we are pilgrims in the sense that we are passing through this life on our way home, on our way to another life. Now that sounds really good on the one hand, but this life is full of difficulties, it's full of disappointments, it's full of fear, it's full of bad counsel from, from the world and even from some of our friends. It's full of sinful desires that we can't always seem to get a handle of. And it's very easy in all of those situations to take our eyes off the promises of God. And one of the things about the promises of God, we've seen this in Abraham's life, he goes, God says, hey, go to a land I'm going to show you. That's like not very detailed, is it? And a lot of times God's promises are, don't have a lot of details. A lot of times they're not very clear but that's what faith is. God reveals himself to us in a number of different ways, primarily through the word of God, and we are to respond to his word. We are to respond to his promises with faith and trust. Again, God told Abraham to move far away to an unknown land that, that God would give him. And when he got there, it was we know it as the promised land. It was the, it was the land of Canaan. And we saw last week, we don't know how long they were there for. They were living in tents, so they were still pilgrims living in tents. They weren't settlers. The Canaanites were settled in there. And so it was, we don't know how long it was until a trial came. What was that trial? There was a famine in the land. Now, if you watched us on Wednesday night or you listened to the Wednesday night message, we were talking about trials that God allows into our lives or sometimes maybe even brings them into our lives uh, to test our faith. And one of the reasons we need to be aware of trials and what they do is we said Wednesday night that often lurking right behind our trial is a temptation. There will be a temptation to, to do your own thing, to help God out. That's sort of what Abraham did. He, he decided, well, I'm going go to go down to Egypt. And then he, when he went down to Egypt... He told the, all the people that he met there that were the servants of Pharaoh, the, the king, that his beautiful wife, Sarah, was his sister. 
thinking, well, they won't kill me and then take my beautiful wife to the, to the king's harem. They'll just treat me good uh, for my sister's sake. So they didn't kill him, but Pharaoh did take Sarah, or Sarai, her name is at this point. And then plagues came to Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh was somehow figured out what was going on. And so the pagan king comes to Father Abraham. <laughs> the pagan king comes to really the, the father of our, our faith, you might say, and told him to leave Egypt because of Abraham's sin. And what seemed to happen was that Abraham's sin just crashed in on him. Now, I know a lot of people uh, don't like to be told that they're sinners today. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've come to accept it. That's part of becoming a follower of Jesus. But a lot of people will admit that sometimes some of the stuff that they do crashes in upon them. And that's what happened to Abraham. And let's go back to the beginning of the chapter so we can read what happened next, verses 1 through 4. Then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with them to the south. Abraham, or Abram, was very rich. That's very important. Let's keep that in the back of our mind. In livestock, in silver, and in gold. So Abram had made money where he originally lived, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then he moved to Haran. It seems like he made money there too. And he was apparently a good businessman. And then Pharaoh, to get him to leave, gave him a bunch of wealth and also probably thinking he was taking his sister from him. Uh, verse 3 says, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So he's back in the promised land, went back to the beginning. We talked about that last week where he went back to the place of worship after he had failed. True followers of the Lord go back to him. They don't run from him. To the, verse 4, to the place of the altar, the altar of sacrifice, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So how do you think that conversation went down? There he is at the altar. There he is calling upon the name of the Lord. Do you think he's saying like, hey, it's good to be home, God? Or do you think he's saying, I'm really sorry. I really blew it. You brought me here. I trusted you with the big thing to move to the promised land, to move to Canaan. And then instead of telling my family and all the people that were with me that I, we need to trust you in the famine, what did I do? I overreacted, and I took people down to Egypt. Lord, would you please forgive me? So Abraham goes back to the place of worship. He calls out to the Lord in his sin and in his failure, trusting that the Lord is going to help him through it. Uh, side note, many people you know, maybe it could be you, have a fake faith. You know anybody with a fake faith? It's, it's, not, it's, it's all talk. It's not, it's not real faith. But fake faith has no spiritual resources to deal with such failures. When you, when you come before God, if, if you have a fake faith, you're just, you're just there's nothing there. You're, you're on your own. There's no Holy Spirit power. But see, 
Abram, by coming back to the promised land, by coming back to the mountain, by coming back to the place where he started at the beginning, by coming back to the altar of sacrifice and calling upon the name of the Lord, he is seeking to recover his relationship with God. And I think the fact that, remember, he moved into the Canaanite, Canaanite territory, land of the pagans, by the, the, just the sheer fact that they did not destroy the altar. You would think as soon as he left town, a thing was coming down. I think the sheer fact that, that it's still there reminds me of the empty cross of Christ. As long as the empty cross of Christ is still there, it's a sign in our hearts that we can always come back to the Lord. 1 John 1.9 is a verse that we cite very often, and it, it is so very popular. And if you don't have it memorized, maybe that will be your homework for this week. You need to know it, and you need to live by it. And it goes like this. John writes, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, some verses say purify us, from all unrighteousness. Do, do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that? I'm not, saying, I'm not asking, you know, like, oh, yes, Pastor Jim, of course we believe that. We're, we're, we're Christians. You know, we have, I have a Bible on my lap. Of course I believe that. Now I'm asking, do you really believe that? Have you, have you experienced that? Sadly, I would have to say that many people who say they're Christians don't do this. God may stop their sin. Sometimes people are sinning and God just stops it. He intervenes in some way and puts an end to it. And the people might even admit it, that they have done it. But they don't confess it to God. They don't come to the place where Abraham is now. They don't come to that place and confess it to God. And, and they may even reveal it to others. But as they do, they can't put a period on the end of what they did. They have to attach excuses. They have to attach rationalizations. They have to attach cover-ups to it. And what does that tell you? That tells you that they never really ever repented. They never really ever came to God for that cleansing. And, and their lives are often characterized by, by nervousness and, 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 and a lack of joy. They don't come to the foot of the cross with a broken heart. And they're just absolutely in awe of the mercy of God. As painful as this incident was for Abraham, he had to taste the result of his sin. And then he came back to God's open arms. And he found the Lord was ready to receive him and to forgive him. And maybe somebody here today or, or watching online, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come to that place. And I guarantee you, the arms that were spread out on the cross are now spread out to you, ready to receive you, ready to welcome you back ready to forgive you, ready to love you. Well, 
it's, it's not long after that kind of stuff that another test comes. Did you know that? Look at verse 5. Lot also. Now, Lot, Lot's going to be a problem. That's his nephew. He's going to be a problem. Just imagine the Lord said, thanks a lot for Lot, Lord. <laughs> right? well, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So, you know, they, they got too much stuff. And there was strife. Some of your versions say there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So they're arguing. We'll talk about that in a second. And then there's this interesting side note. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So both Abram and Lot's businesses are doing very, very well. But apparently there's not enough grazing land and there's not enough water for both sets of flocks. And so the result is there's, there's strife that's going on. There's quarreling that's going on. And, and many of you have, have seen this. In, you ever seen this in your workplace where there's just constant strife? There's constant quarreling going on. Uh, some people, and this could be probably more of a lot thing than an Abraham thing, some people become so incredibly discontented that they become obsessed they're not even able to work anymore because they just want to just complain about everything. And, and all, most of the other people around them see it. And they're like, who's going to tell them it's time to move on? And, and when, who's going to tell them maybe they should think about a, another job? They're, they've become toxic. They're destroying the, the work environment. You see... We do often become discontented, but it's not okay to stay in the place of discontentment. And instead of meeting, what happens? These guys get together and they start strife. They begin to, presumably, as they are the original, original if you will, I mean, there was in the past, but this is the, real, the restart of the people of God. This is the restart of the people of God. And what are they doing? There's... There's strife and there is quarreling. There is what we call discord among the brethren. Do you know that, that Proverbs 6 says that this is one of the things that the Lord absolutely hates. People who go around sowing discord among the brethren. People who go around sowing seeds of doubt or, or telling stories or or making, putting, pitting one person against another. The Lord does not like such things. He actually is disgusted by it. It says that he hates it. That he's disgusted by it. That it is to him, we say disgusted, what the word is, it's an abomination to him. I wonder how Lot's thinking was going around this point in time, thinking to himself, well, you know, Egypt, everything that happened there, that was, not, that was Uncle Abe's sin. That wasn't on me. I'm, I'm the better man. But, you know, when we start to think that way, that will completely blind us to our sin. And, and the decline and fall that results from thinking that way will be catastrophic. I remember about 18 years ago, I, I don't think I've ever spoken about this in public, maybe once or twice, about 18 years ago, 
when I was on staff at another church, I went out to lunch with my pastor. And he, he knew that it was really in my heart from the beginning when I went on staff there that I wanted to go out and see if the Lord would uh, allow me to start a Bible study that hopefully would, would turn into a church and didn't want to bring a group of people with me, just wanted to see what would happen and what, what God would do the same way that he went out uh, to do that. And, and he, you know, I just I said, well, what are some things that you would give me some advice along the way? I don't forget the first thing he said to me. He said, I, I've seen this over the years. I've seen so many people leave to go out and start a church or leave our church bitter and angry and fail miserably. I thought that was such an odd thing for him to tell me. And then he had this look on his face and he said, and, and the saddest thing is how many of them actually recruited people to follow them and how virtually none of them or hardly any of them are even walking with the Lord anymore. And so that discord, that, that's why the Lord hates it because it, it really, it sours us. It, it, it is not a good thing. See, for a follower of Jesus, if we are lacking integrity, if we are being selfish, if we forget about the mission, if we forget our calling, we then become a hindrance to the mission. You know, you, if that's even going on in your spiritual life, you can become a hindrance at your job, to your work. You say, at your work, yes. Notice the, the little throw-in that we get at the end of the verse here. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Christian friend in the workplace, which is probably the biggest evangelistic field that most of us have, you know what? The unbelieving people are watching the people of God. They're watching. They're watching our work. They're watching our attitudes. They're watching if we're constantly sowing discord. Oh, the company's not taking care of us. Okay, if it's not taking care of you, it's time to go. If you, if you think that's what it is, fortunately, we live in America, you can do that. Well, it's not that easy. Then we need to button our lips. We need to exercise self-control. As we'll see, Abraham and Lot did not share the same vision of God. Uh, Abraham was, was really changing, and Lot, we're going to see, is a guy who was about doing his own thing. And see, seeing with the eyes of faith, this time, instead of going back to Egypt, Abraham clearly sees that a separation is needed. And not, I don't think, out of bitterness. I think he sees this is going to be better for everybody. It's better if we do something about this situation. Verse 8 says, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. What does he say? Let's, let's, let's fix this thing. Let's, let's settle this peacefully. Let's to come to an agreement that benefits all the parties involved. L let's figure out a plan. Now, some of you have been in those situations. It's easy if both parties go, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. It's not so good if one person doesn't want to do it, is it? It's very, very tough. But Lot will be willing to do it. Verse 9, is not the whole of the land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, Abraham is the uh, patriarch of the family. 
He is the leader. He could have offered Lot nothing. But what does he do? He makes a costly offer to help Lot. Why? Because Abraham's eyes are now fixed on what he can't physically see. See, he physically sees the land. He, he would be able to tell you which would be better for raising flocks and stuff like that. But he's looking to what he can't be seen. He's looking to the eternal. He's looking long-term, not short-term. You see, it seems that Egypt really changed Abram. He's in a good place now. He's seeing the future with the eyes of faith. This is pilgrim thinking. This is the way pilgrims think. Abraham is excited about the possibilities of, of, of the sovereign God. But he's not just excited about the possibilities for him. He's excited about the possibilities for Lot. I could picture him saying, Lot, you know what? I, I love you and we're relatives and we're family and I realize this is hard. But, you know, it's quite possible that the best could actually be out ahead of us. That, it, that it's not, that it, it, it's, we don't need to argue about this. We need to believe that God has incredible things for, for each one of us. Settlers, on the other hand, they don't have that attitude. They'll fight God and his changes until God pulls the idols out of their hands. So Abraham made the hard but wise and practical choice, the one that was best for the people. Now, I'm sure it made some people angry. If you're a leader of any sort, if you're a boss, you're going to have to make some decisions that are going to make people angry. Did you know that? That's just the way it's going to go. And so I'm sure there were some people like, I can't believe it. Lot and his family. He's, he's family. What are you doing? What's going on? But he made the hard choice. And as we'll see, Lot's choice seemed right to him. And it turns out to be a disaster because Lot has to learn some very, very tough lessons. Some of us are that way. I was that way more when I was younger than I am when I'm older. Maybe I'm just tired. God has just beaten me silly on these kinds of things. But some of us have to go through a slew of bad choices before we realize God's right and we're not. <laughs> and, and so, you know, sometimes I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking about something, and I'm like, yeah, God, guess not. I'm not going to fight you on this one because we're not going to win. Verse 10, I want to read verse 10 twice. And, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord's, parentheses, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. See, but Lot is not looking with spiritual eyes. He's looking at what can only be seen what he wants to get out of this life. And he saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, and then the parentheses, that was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Is that the garden of Eden? I mean, is he thinking, my goodness, this place is like the place where Adam and Eve lived? What happened to them in that place? And it's now closed to mankind, but Lot thinks, well, I could kind of inch my way over that way. I could kind of get in. See, see, Lot wanted the benefits of the garden without the obedience of the garden. 
It says, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So it was like the land of Egypt. It was like the land of compromise. Remember we said Egypt is the land of sin and compromise, a type of sin in the Bible. And, and Lot probably loved it there. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan. He's like, yeah, that place is looking good. And, journey, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. What did he do? He stayed. He stayed. He knew that was the place that God had him. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom, listen to this, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So with eyes of flesh, Lot made a rash and foolish choice. He chose what looked good to his eyes, but was not good for him. You see, Lot was not very self-aware. And while this is a lesson for all of us, I think particularly for any of the young people that are here or that are watching that you pay particular attention to this, is that you can only get so close to Sodom before Sodom gets into you. You can only get so close to certain types of sin before it becomes a part of you. Can you always go back to the Lord? Yes, you can. And old or young, that's what we all need to do, if you will, each and every day. And I think this is a great word for any follower of Jesus in this time. Because so many people who are claiming the name of Christ are making choices driven by pain, driven by emotion, driven by desires, not by the word of God. Perhaps Lot should have done this, and we should all do this, plead with God when he had the opportunity to look up and just say, Lord, help me to see what's really in front of me. Help me to really see with the eyes of faith. Help me to see with spiritual eyes. Perhaps then he would have seen that instead of living in the promises of God, in the promised land that he was choosing to live outside of the promised land, out to live outside of the will of God. There's an interesting progression we're going to come across because we're going to see Lot get into a lot of trouble. In chapter 13, we're told here that he lived near Sodom. In chapter 14, he's, we're going to see that he was living in Sodom. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. And then chapter 19, we see that he's sitting at the gate of Sodom, the place where the leader sat. So apparently now he's one of the leaders in that place that it's said, that, again, verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot is doing, sadly, what a lot of people who call themselves Christians do, pushing their behavior to the limit and thinking that God is okay with it. But the reality is this, for the most part, sin is much easier to get into than it is to get out of. You can get into it one, two, three. 
It's a process, and by the time you realize you want to get out of it, it can be very, very difficult. It's so easy to think you're right. It's so easy to rationalize. It's so easy to think that you can handle it. After Jesus sent to heaven, the apostle Peter wrote, said in 1 Peter 5.8, he said, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Satan likes to eat people. He, he likes to eat followers of Jesus. He wants to have some of you for lunch. How does that, how does that make you feel? He wants to have some of us for lunch. How does he do it? He gets it by getting us to turn our backs on God. And it usually starts so subtly. Because I think a lot of us who are followers of Jesus are, are unaware how spiritually draining living a sinful life is for us. We don't really understand how spiritually draining a self-centered life is. If you're a Christian and you feel like I have got no joy in my life, I feel like I'm always whooped, I feel like I can't, there's nothing of me left of me to pour out to other people. It, the problem could be that you are self-centered. Now you're saying, that's not very nice to say, Pastor Jim. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you out of that cycle that you're in right now that's just miserable and, and, and lacking joy. You see, part of his devouring you and me is to say, you just need to only take care of you. That doesn't mean you, I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself, but, but if you're only about yourself, you're not going to have a joyful Christian life. It's so important, a lot of times this, that we fall into these kinds of ways where a lot is and not seeing with spiritual eyes, a lot of times they're very emotional experiences for us. And it's very important that we we distrust our emotions. I'm not saying we ignore our emotions. I'm not saying that. But we, we can't always trust them. And also, we have to realize that a lot of times what we think is wisdom may not be wisdom. It may be foolishness. You see, it's easy. We all have to admit this. It's easy to look at things and to think that we are seeing clearly and then, like Lot, make the wrong choice. Now, if you don't know the story, please come. This is the, this guy. This is a, this is a, this is a moment for him. This is the crossroads. The scripture says twice in the Proverbs, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death." Okay, in fourteen and sixteen, Proverbs fourteen and sixteen. Don't, he's there. He is at the fork in the road. And this choice is going to have tremendous, tremendous problems for him. On the other hand, what is Abram doing? He's putting himself under the sovereignty of God. He's putting himself under the grace of God. What is he doing? He's doing what the eyes of faith do. He's choosing the eternal before the earthly. He's choosing heaven before earth. 
You know, it's an interesting thing I, I've I learned. You know, a lot of you know that I just like to be a student of people. So I'll listen to people talk a lot. And uh, I definitely, before I was a follower of Jesus, I fell into this category. But people who are not followers of Jesus, again, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. And maybe you'll have to see if this is you. People who are not followers of Jesus, um, they choose earth before heaven. But the interesting thing about that is they'll always choose heaven over hell. <laughs> so if you talk to them about living for God here, they're just like, oh, forget that, forget that. And then you're like, well, you think you're going to heaven? Like, of course, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> Two popular ver- Old Testament verses say it well. Many of you probably know them. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Another version says, do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, think about what God would say, and he shall direct your paths. Now, let's look first at what it doesn't say. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He doesn't say, don't use understanding. He says, don't lean on it. Don't rely on it. Don't just use your own understanding without going to the Lord to confirm your understanding. Very, very important. So you don't be like, well, I just, just I don't know, I just did ask the Lord. He didn't tell me what to do. No, you have to have some sort of understanding, and we lean and rely on the Lord. But often, and it's easy for us to do, we do what Lot does, what seems to make sense in the moment what seems to be the best thing to do without any prayerful consideration. I wonder if Abraham was like, Lot, do you want to think about it a minute? And he's like, no. no I've been, you couldn't have been up here looking at the land forever, man. I've been lusting for that place, man. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. That, that is a very, very important line. Lot is gone. The, 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 the strife, the quarreling is over. They have separated. And maybe, maybe Abram is, is sad to see Lot go, and, and maybe he's catching heat for, for, for letting that happen. But the Lord says to him, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. I can't help but think that there is someone here today or watching today that this is for you. That something has happened in your life or you're at a place in your life right now and the Lord has said, is saying to you right now, that was the past, that was then. It's gone. We've done business. You've told me you were sorry. I have forgotten it. The sacrifice at the altar, the sacrifice at the cross has taken care of it. Let's drop it. Abraham, and let's look ahead. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's see the future. Let's see what I have for you. I have a new future for you, Abram. Let me ask you a question, church. They're telling us, for geeks like me who read and study such stuff, that this virus might end the church as we know it. Look up. Open your eyes. This may be the single greatest opportunity in all of our lifetimes. 
Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't be lot. Don't go the other way. Oh, i got to take care of myself. That looks like the best thing to do. Don't be that guy. Be the one who sees the possibilities by opening their eyes and looking at what God sees. And so he says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look where you are now. And he says, look northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Look all around you for all. Notice he doesn't say part. All. The land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Your offspring forever. Now remember, he's got no descendants. He's got no kids. He's an old man. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, he can't, then your descendants could also be numbered. So what happened? Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw what he wanted to see. But Abram lifted up his eyes to see what the Lord had for him. Lot saw what was Abram saw what could be. This is what we call in the Scriptures an already not yet promise. Abram, you already have it. It's yours. You already have it. It's just not yet fully realized. It's just not yet fully experienced. Did you know every follower of Jesus has similar promises? Did you know you have tons of already but not yet promises? God says, you have this already. I remember reading Lee Elkov's book. I forget what it was called. It was a great book. And sometimes for me, I, I never say that rarely books change me, but, but sentences do. He said the hardest part of, job of a pastor is to convince the people in the church how rich they really are. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are already rich. You just not yet have it. You go, I got a lot of money in the bank. No, no, you got nothing. You got nothing. And those promises, those what we have already, we hold on to them tightly even though we haven't experienced them yet. Let me give you an example. Another popular passage. John chapter 14, Last Supper. Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus is hot. Some people want to make him king. Some people want to kill him. The religious leaders are looking for him. The disciples, the apostles are in the upper room with Jesus. They don't know what to make of it. Jesus stands up and goes, don't let your heart be troubled. (laughs) They're like, here he goes. Here he goes. What is he talking about? Why? Because they are looking with earthly eyes. Jesus is looking with heavenly eyes. Jesus says, not, let not your heart be troubled. You believe, you trust in God. Believe or trust also in me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just tell you what he just did. People say, Jesus never said he was God in the Bible. He just said he was God. He just elevated himself by claiming equal status with God. That is something they did not do in Judaism. They did not do it. That's why they killed him. That was the charge against the religious leaders. You being a mere man, make yourself out to be equal with God. Jesus didn't go, oh, you got me all wrong. 
He didn't say that at all. He goes, yeah, you got it. That's right, yeah. And then he gives him a promise, verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That place, loved ones, is prepared for you already. You have it already. Already. And if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So like Abraham, we who have put our trust in Jesus Christ and now are now followers of Jesus, we are standing in not yet. We have the place, but we're not there. We have it already, but we're not, that yet, not yet there. You say, Pastor Jim, how do you know it's true? Reason number one, Jesus rose from the dead. Reason number two is hidden in verse two. Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you so. Do you believe him? Do you really believe him? If Jeff Bezos put $25 billion in your bank account tomorrow, would you be as concerned about the future as you are right now? Well, you and I have a lot more in our, in our, bank, in our heavenly bank accounts than that right now. If it were not so, Jesus would have told us. Like Abraham, we are encouraged to exercise faith to look beyond this world to an eternal hope. I mean, if you haven't been with us, it's okay, but for those of you who've been with us as we've been going through Abraham's life, we started in chapter 11. This is our fourth message in it. I mean, just think of this offer. This offer is made to a man who was raised a pagan, and it was a practicing pagan as an adult. This offer was made to a man who was slow to move to the promised land. He was in the Ur of the Chaldeans. God said, get over there. And he stops in Haran. He lives there for a while, building a business. And this promise is made to a man who is a miserable failure in Egypt. The grace of God is amazing. And maybe, just maybe, I know I do. Maybe you need it today more than ever. Maybe you're on top of the mountain and you feel like Abraham or you feel like you're down in the valley and you feel like Abraham. Maybe you feel you're abandoned. You don't know what's going on, man. Lord, I have just messed up. Maybe, maybe you're depressed. And today, God simply says this to you. Simply says this. Lift up your eyes and look. Lift them up and look. And see what you haven't seen before. See the unseen. I love what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 2.9. He says, but we see Jesus. <laughs> and you know what? If that's, that's all you see, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. Verse 17, the Lord still speaking, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent. Why? Why is he living in a tent? Because he's a pilgrim. He's not a settler. 
He's on his way home. He is not home. I know this is going to sound terribly critical, but, but as far as Christianity goes, northern New Jersey has way too many settlers, way too many, and needs pilgrims. <laughs> you know, remember, remember in the Batman movie, the, the, the Joker says, you know, this city deserves a better brand of criminal, <laughs> right? <laughs> Northern New Jersey needs a better brand of Christian. It needs pilgrims. It's plenty of settlers. There's no more room for the settlers, to be honest with you. It needs pilgrims. He said, then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelled by the terebinth tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So the Lord says, Abram, open your eyes. Let's go for a walk. Let's get a taste of what is to come. Now, there's a lot of questions that are unanswered still, aren't there? Um, you know, we would be like, Lord, excuse me, just, just two, just two. Five questions? No, two. Okay, two, Lord, two. Number one, how am I going to get the land from the Canaanites? Number, number two, descendants, no kids. How is that going to happen? Now, if you had asked Abram, if we could, when we meet him, if we say, hey, dude, how did you feel that day? He's going, what's dude mean? <laughs> hey, dude, how did you feel at that moment? How did you think you would get the land from the Canaanites or you were going to get a son? He would go, I had no clue. He didn't ask me to take a walk with my questions. He asked me to take a walk with eyes of faith. And so that's the walk I took. But the man or the woman who believes in the promises of God, who knows, who, who, who's willing to follow and walk with God without knowing the future, and how the future will and the promises of God will come about. Look at the end of verse 18. They built an altar there. That's what we do. We build an altar to the Lord. We build it in our hearts. Maybe you have a place where you like to just go and sit and, and read your Bible and get alone with God. That's your altar. That's your sanctuary. You, you build that place and you worship the living God. And we'll see for a long time Abraham will live there without seeing an answer to those promises and he will die without seeing most of them. But he's learning to trust the Lord. In the New Testament, after Jesus ascended to heaven, the apostle Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 1.3. He said that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have them already, but not yet. It is by believing that that we can get a taste of heaven. And we can even begin to enter into that great inheritance, into the experience of that great inheritance. So we're over 4,000 years ago with Abram. Him and Lot go to the top of the mountain. Lot says, I'll take what looks good. I'll take the easy way. Abram, he gets the leftovers which just so happens to be the promises of God. Now let's fast forward 2,000 years 
more, a little more, 2,000 years ago for us. And in Matthew chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the mountain and he says this to him, I will give it all to you. All you need to do is two things. All you need to do is worship me and all you need to do is skip the cross. It's that easy. Take the lot way, man. It's that easy. We said that Abraham made a costly offer to help Lot. It's at this moment we see the costly offer the Lord made to offer you and I help. He sent his son to live a perfect life, to resist temptation, to see with spiritual eyes, and to not skip the cross, but to die on the cross for yours and my sins. And because Jesus loves you, he invites you into his world. He invites you into his life. And here's the reality. If you're like Lot, you will say no to Jesus' offer. But if you are like Abraham, you will say yes. And if you say yes, God has many promises for you. And they involve seeing the future with the eyes of faith. So by faith, you can obtain the promises of God that God gives to all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to all who love him. Let's pray.